and welcome to episode 58 of the Telling the Story podcast, a look at how journalists and all of us reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. This podcast is all about developing your voice as a journalist and developing the skills to harness that voice. I've got two great guests tonight, but before we get to them, three quick requests. First, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is the best podcast app I know. It keeps a playlist of all your favorite shows, and it automatically updates with new episodes so you don't have to download all of them and take up all that memory on your phone. Just download the Stitcher app and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Secondly, rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you like what you're hearing, Giving a great rating and a great review is the best way to spread the word. So I encourage you to do that if you like what you hear. And third and finally, I encourage you all to check out my book, The Solo Video Journalist, A How-To Guide to the Most In-Demand Position in TV News, The Solo Video Journalist slash Multimedia Journalist slash One-Person Band slash VJ. I've got interviews with a dozen terrific solo video journalists, and other special guests. Check out the book, now one year old, The Solo Video Journalist, available wherever books are sold online. I sit here tonight on my podcast saying, here is another podcast. It is new. It also deals in the world of broadcast news, but from a perspective that often doesn't get enough attention. My guests are the host of the podcast, Women on Deadline, her experience in TV news. First, a reporter from KSBW in Monterey and Salinas, California, Sierra Starks. Welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you. And her co-host and renowned photojournalist, she was interviewed on Vice News earlier this year. She's a superstar. Carolyn Hall, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Hello, and thank you for having us. Absolutely. Pleasure to have you both. You guys are now three episodes in. And I've been awaiting this for a while. Carolyn, you told me about the seeds of this podcast back in April. And now it is up and running. I've listened to several of the episodes, and you both do just a terrific job. Give a quick description of Women on Deadline. (laughs) Uh, Well, Women on Deadline is a podcast focused to telling the woman's story of her experience in the newsroom and the issues that we face, good and bad, um, and just trying to make sure that there's more of a discussion about those topics so that we can kind of come together and have this camaraderie moment to let let each other know that we're not alone and that a lot of the same issues that we face, um, all of us are facing it. Now, at what point did you feel like this, specifically this podcast, was necessary. I'm sure. I'm sure it's something that you've talked about privately with friends and 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 fellow women in the business for a while. Talk about at what point did you feel like, okay, it's time to do a podcast. We're just the ones to do it, but this specifically is needed at this point in time. Oh gosh. <laughs> so a year ago, actually, um, I was starting to listen to a number of different podcasts and. One of them in particular, which is called Call Your Girlfriend, um, discussed women's issues, and they were very frank and very open about um, the the issues that women face in society today. And there, and it was like a young and fresh perspective. Um, at the same time, in television news, I was getting really frustrated with seeing. Um, how do I put this? Just seeing online activity and having a, a number of personal experiences where it's just like women need to have a voice and we need to feel, um, dare I use the word, empowered that our experiences are worth talking about and are worth sharing and educating not only ourselves but also men because a lot of women can relate to this idea that women are often put down or we receive sexist comments and remarks and um it it's not that is not really addressed and we just kind of accept it internalize it let it go oh we're not supposed to say anything and um at that point in time a year ago I was just like all right this like this needs to stop and so it was like a combination of factors with me learning a lot about finding a voice as a woman and seeing that there were these issues in newsrooms um that I've been in in the past and online activity in in Facebook groups so it was like okay there's a void here we need to come together we need to have this formal if not un- informal discussion 
about what is taking place. Sierra, I think one of the, the big questions any journalist face who wants to do more than what they're doing in their newsroom is, is how to spend that time. We all have personal lives. We all have other goals, things we want to do, places we want to go. And to start something like a podcast from scratch, I think, you know, I, I'm speaking personally, I think it requires both the will to do it on a regular basis, but also a, a, a desire to put something out into the world that's not out there already. Um, at some point, the two of you decided to do this podcast about this specific subject. With your limited amount of time, why was this subject the one that you wanted to devote your time to? So Carolyn and I and other um, female colleagues at our station, we work together at uh, KTVA, the CBS affiliate in Anchorage, Alaska. And I just remember having so many conversations in Carolyn's dining room <laughs> focused <laughs> on, well, focused on the issues that we, we have tackled in the podcast and the issues that we plan to tackle in the podcast. And I kind of remember sitting there and thinking like, other people need to hear this. Like, this should not just be a closed conversation between, you know, however many of us are in this room, but this is valuable information. And I feel like these situations that we find ourselves in, we're not alone in that. And they're, you know, if we're experiencing it, then women across the world are experiencing it as well. So, yeah. So then when Carolyn approached me saying, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's cool. And then she's like, I want you to, I want you to be on it. Uh, and then I was like, what? Stop. But, 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 but I know that Carolyn is extremely selective um, with who she surrounds herself with and who she dives into projects with. So I felt very honored that, uh, that she chose me. And uh, I, as I said, I, I've listened to, several episodes of the podcast at this point. There have only been three out uh, as of this recording, but I've listened to two. And um, I, I think I was joking with you guys before we started recording about how I'm a big fan, but I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be the intended audience of the podcast. So I'll ask you guys that. I mean, would you say that your show is specifically a teaching tool for women, primarily a teaching tool for women? Are you aiming to educate men as well? What What is your target audience with this podcast our target audience is absolutely women and young women getting into the business um but there's definitely uh an area of concentration for men too i think men really i think this is an opportunity for them if they're interested to listen and absorb another perspective so that they can have an understanding of where a female counterpart in the newsroom might be coming from when it comes to issues that she's facing, or if, if the man in the newsroom is witnessing something that's been talked about in the podcast, they could potentially use that as an opportunity to step up and to do something positive if, if something not great is going on. And so I think it's really important um, for the dialogue for everybody to take it as an educational experience and hopefully absorb some of it and, and learn and grow. And I'll tell you that, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Sierra, go ahead. Well, I think so many times podcasts or, or things have been started without women in mind and women listen and gain a perspective that they didn't think they could. So in this case, it's just the opposite. Yeah. And I love that because I, I and Carolyn, you and I talked about this extensively when I was in Alaska uh, earlier this year speaking at a conference, and it was one of six that I spoke at uh, in the first six months of the year, and it was the only one that was at least partially organized and run by a woman, and I couldn't help but notice that it was also the only one where the majority of speakers were women. And in all of the other workshops that were organized by men, it wasn't just a majority of men. It was almost a super majority. It was almost the, the two-thirds of the vote. Uh, and I found that a very telling thing because I don't think any of the men who organized their conferences went out of their way to, you know, to have that ratio. But it happened naturally because maybe it wasn't top of mind, whatever reasons that you can come up with. So I, I always think it's very valuable when 
people such as yourselves start a podcast like this that's getting out of voice, but it is also not just for women, but it kind of enables women to be a, the lead in a situation where men can also take part, just not a place of ownership or a place of leadership in it. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Isn't that, isn't that a novice idea that men can learn something from us? <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Sierra. <laughs> I've never... Uh, it's, it's funny, like, I, I... One of the things that I learned from your last episode, which was kind of... It was, it was uh, right after the Me Too hashtag uh, really uh, became a force online for a good week or two and you capitalized on that to talk about that experience in the newsroom. And Sierra, you actually shared uh, a story, a personal story of, of harassment that you faced. And it's one of those things where I just never would have guessed that something like that would have taken place. And so as someone who's not a woman, I appreciated just that perspective because I, I think it's easy to understand the idea on a broad level that sexual harassment is a bad thing and it's possible to be against the concept, but not realize the scope of it because it's not something you see outright. So I appreciated that. And I would imagine that other men would appreciate it too. I think certainly it, it, the, when I listen to the show, it's a very, seems like a very conscious effort to speak to women first and make sure that, even if men decide to take something from it, this is very much a podcast for, like you said, for women to discuss the issues that particularly affect them. We're yeah, nodding absolutely. our heads. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All agreement. <laughs> yeah. And I, and um, it's really nice to hear you say that you're learning as well as a listener and, and taking that into consideration that, yeah, like this weird stuff happens to women and it's not often talked about and it's not often, um, yeah, just in that realm of public discussion, like perhaps in women's circles, um, you know, like in a cluster, clustered group in the newsroom or something like that, or maybe over a text message. But I think there's a lot of value for men to hear this, to gain hopefully a level of sensitivity when it comes to, you know, the actions of some people out there where, especially in this digital age, they think that they can just like do anything, send anything. And like it, the appropriateness of it, it's like, it's not a consideration. <laughs> and so, yeah. So thank you for listening and also for learning too. This is the telling the story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. My guests are Carolyn Hall and Sierra Starks of the women on deadline podcast. Three episodes in, very, very good stuff so far. I can't wait to continue to listen. I wanted to uh, ask ask you both a little bit, uh, kind of picking up on what we were talking about, about the issues that aren't getting enough attention. Um, so far, I, I know you, you've covered the topic of solo video journalism and how it specifically affects women. You touched on the Me Too campaign and, and used that to focus on sexual harassment in the newsroom. What are some of the, some of the other topics, or you can even continue to talk about those that you find particularly galling that don't get enough attention, that maybe even enough women aren't talking about amongst each other? Uh, we just recorded an episode um, just about supporting each other in the newsroom, like women supporting each other in the newsroom, because I, I know that I have not seen enough of that sometimes. And for some reason, as women, we feel like we 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 can't be on each other's teams. Like we have to be all always either butting heads or in competition or, or what have you. And we can be all those things. I can butt heads with Carolyn. I can be in competition with Carolyn. But at the end of the day, me and Carolyn should be on the same team. Do you think that applies just to women or or in a general sense? Like I, I like I would say that that's how I kind of treat most of my colleagues in the journalism world. Like I might. You know, we might compete for stories. We might, uh, you know, try to, you know, uh, one up each other. And, and, you know, it's a kind of a friendly competition. But at the end of the day, we all have each other's back. Uh, talk about specifically why you feel that that is even more necessary for the female employees in the office. I think that we often are the minority 
And if we don't stick together, then our voices aren't heard. I mean, you can you can see it in the whole Me Too campaign. Just imagine if I had people who supported me in that aspect where we could go to management together and it wasn't just me sitting there in front of, you know, what could be a male boss. If I had other women supporting me by my side, I would feel, here we go with this word, but I would feel empowered to make my make my concerns heard or make my voice heard. And I think enough of that isn't going on. I gave an example um, in the recording of a time when my morning show did a promo and didn't include me. And it was very bizarre because I was part of the morning show and there were promos for the evening news, promos for you know the, um, 11, the 10 o'clock show. And so I was missing in the realm of promos but I'm giving my all to this morning show. And I actually had um, some ladies in the newsroom step up and talk to management on my behalf, as in, like, why isn't Sierra included in the promo? She should be included in the promo. Like, she works too hard not to be included in the promo. And I, I felt supported, like, at that point and knew from that point on, like, these are people who I can go to in this newsroom no matter what, who will always have my back. And in turn, I will always have their back. And I just don't think there's enough of that going on in newsrooms. Very interesting. Carolyn, uh, we, uh, obviously we talked quite a bit about that specifically. Any, What are the other things that you see as someone who has really been at the forefront of a lot of this conversation I know that I've seen in broadcast circles? What are the issues that aren't getting discussed enough? I think when it comes to making sure that you have a, a diverse pool of candidates of which to choose from when you're hiring for photojournalists or for reporters. And it's not just women that you're seeking out for applicants, but also uh, people of color and making sure that you have a broad range of perspectives that can be representative of your newsroom and in theory, your community. Um, So I think that's an issue. I think when it comes to confidence, a lot of women suffer from a lack of confidence. I know that I am one of them and I am constantly trying to bring myself up and talk myself up and say, you got this, you got this, you got this. So I, I know that that's a topic that we're going to be talking about. And then there are also, you know, different changes that are taking place in the industry that I think are important for us as a whole, not just as women to be talking about, like with Fresco, um, that app, you know, trying to assume the position of a photojournalist. Um, and, and even like when it comes to, um, I don't know if you saw the um, academic article that came out a couple of weeks ago um, talking about the language that is used when people are talking about photojournalists. It, it's it's normal in this industry for reporters to have a possessive language when talking about their photographer. And it's her photographer. It's his photographer. And it's, you know, I'm I'm not a dog. I'm not a book. I'm not like, you know, like, like I, I actually have a brain inside my head where I'm a photojournalist and I am, you know, I'm perfectly capable of performing work as a journalist. And so I, I, there, there are so many issues that we can be discussing. I mean, it, it's a long, long, long list. Very cool. Um, I, it's funny. You mentioned the, uh, the necessity for, you know, greater, diversity in the hiring process or or at least among the candidates and it's interesting at least as it applies to gender i spoke at uh, a uga a university of georgia broadcast society event about a month ago now and there were 40 people there uh, 40 members of their society 40 college students wanting to be in broadcast journalism i would say roughly 35 were women And I was shocked at the ratio, not necessarily because it was that many more women than men, but because it was that many more of one gender than another. And I think for everything we hear about, you know, you come out of college and you're asked to shoot and edit your own stuff almost exclusively. Um, You know, the pay is terrible. There are all these things that stereotypically you would think women would shy away from. And yet they are almost the entirety of the incoming broadcast journalist population what 
I don't know if this is news to either of you or, or what you both make of that, but I know I found it very surprising. I'm curious to know what you both make of it. Jared, do you want this? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> you can go first while I gather my thoughts. Oh, boy. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I know. Well, it's not news to me. It's something that maybe it's the circles that I'm in, in particular, like the social media circles and the, the, the Facebook groups that are out there. But it's it's not a surprise to me that most of the talent pool out there that are coming up from college or graduating from college are women. Um, and I think it's a dicey, touchy to- topic because I don't think you can really cast a wide net and generalize for everybody. Um, I do wonder if part of the reason why there are so many more women out there as MMJ candidates in particular versus men is if it's because women are willing to put in the effort and the work and get paid less than like, you know, maybe not, I don't want to bring in like any kind of gender pay gap or whatever in this discussion, but I do wonder if it's because they're willing to put in all of that effort in such a difficult job and get very little in return because we're women, because we're used to not receiving a lot and we're not used to, I guess, holding ourselves up for like, I deserve more. I deserve better pay. I deserve better hours. I deserve one title. I deserve to be a reporter. I deserve to be a photojournalist. Whereas men it's, and this is like, I'm speculating here. And I think this is a healthy topic for us to discuss. And I'm totally open to a broader discussion on this. I wonder if men are like, Oh, I'm too good for that. And they don't want to go down that road. I could be wrong, but just, I just wonder if men are like, Oh, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to find something that pays better that I don't have to do two jobs. Like, I wonder if women are more scrappy. I don't know. I like, I don't know if I, I could be totally wrong on that, but those are just my initial thoughts on that. My, yeah, my initial thoughts are this along the same lines. I think women are used to proving themselves and women have a can-do attitude. And um, and even when I was coming into the whole thing, I was told, you know, you'll have this crappy reel out of grad school. You'll get hired at this market that's going to pay you $11 an hour to sh- shoot, write, edit, you know, report your own stuff. And that's just how it is. Like, and so I had, and so that's why, and I know that um, my opinion is um, not a, a popular one when it comes to MMJing, but um, we are worth so much more than that, honestly. And I think more women are just taking the breadcrumbs that the industry gives them, and that's what it is. And you don't need to. You just don't. <laughs> because imagine if we didn't take those breadcrumbs. I don't know. That's just how I feel. It's not. I know it's not a popular opinion, but whatever. <laughs> well, I will say, as someone who you know who still shoots and edits my own stuff today, it's been an extraordinary thing for me. I mean, I, I it's not something that I would trade. And while I love working with tremendous photojournalists, I also appreciate the ability to kind of have that control over my own product and and kind of to sharpen that creative muscle and flex that muscle as well in addition to um how much I love writing um I will say that coming out of school I think I felt a lot of the ways that you're describing the way that women might generally feel about that uh just kind of feeling like I just need to get my foot in the door I was I worked in sports so there were even fewer jobs to get than uh, than in news departments because you know there are usually about five times as many news reporters in a in a station's roster than sports anchors and sports reporters. So for me, I, I that was always kind of the mentality, and I never really noticed such a wide gap in in who was getting hired and what gender they were, or whatnot. It was only really until recently, as I've started speaking at more events at colleges and seeing just the massive gap. I I don't know. It, it's very interesting to me. I'm always surprised 
when really talented people choose the local news, local TV news route when it seems like the ability to get online and start writing uh, and getting out one's voice seems to be so uh, so just present and just there for anyone to take advantage of. So for me, when I see talented people who want to get into broadcasting, it, it it's affirming and exciting because I, I don't think we can lose this art and this craft that we have. But yeah, I, I will say it's definitely a surprising thing and I don't necessarily quite know what to make of it. I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it, but I do think that as, as we talk about the, the, the staffs on local newsrooms, especially TV newsrooms, I think that it's, on, it's almost inevitable that the majority, at least of the reporting staff, will be women uh, in the relatively near future. I, I don't see how it would be the opposite. And I'm not sure if that will ultimately work its way up to management, but I definitely think that you know, the, the voices are there, and it's a matter of those voices getting heard once they're in those newsrooms. Yeah, and let's hope that more women are promoted into management positions because I, I, I think that's really, really important. But um, at, as you said, I, I think this is going to play out a certain way and it's, who knows? Who knows like what the trend yeah. is really going to say? And I'm sure there'll be studies done on it and it'll be super interesting. We can nerd out on it. and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do you think I, I I always find this when it comes to younger journalists, maybe more than specifically uh, female journalists. But I'd be curious if you if this is something that you have all discussed in your circles and maybe a future topic for the podcast. I find that when younger journalists in particular are in the meeting, in the morning meeting, in the afternoon pe- meeting, whatever the pitch meeting is where stories are being discussed, they are often afraid to provide their perspective and it's not necessarily just the women who I'm referring to but I think I mean I I think often people of any kind of underrepresented population whether that's race or gender or ethnicity or just uh, sexual orientation whatever the case may be it can often be difficult when stories about those subjects come up to be able to say well as someone of this background you all should know this, or as someone of this background, this is just how I look at this story. Is that a common theme that you uh, see yes. among women? <laughs> Jump in, Sierra. Go for it. I don't want to be the angry black woman at the morning meeting every morning. I don't. That's not who I want to be. So, so I pick and choose my battles. If I feel like I need, like you are if you are getting on my nerves to the point that I need to say something about the African-American race, then yes, I will say something. <laughs> but if you are doing that surface level BS at the morning meeting and I can still like go home and feel good about myself, then I will be quiet. <laughs> I heard you, Sierra. <laughs> <laughs> just, I love that you keep it real so much. Actually, Sierra, I'm wondering if, if you wouldn't mind sharing um, your experience um, I'm trying to think back to what all the details were, but I think it was right around the time of the Trayvon Martin uh, shooting and what took place and your perspective and how drastically different and how it affected you that day in the newsroom. Yes. Would you really like to hear that story? Um, it was it was two black to black or back to back officer involved shootings where the victim was um, a black male. And right after that, there was this um, protest or something like that in Dallas. And that's when an officer ended up getting uh, shot and killed at this protest. And I remember um, we didn't do any coverage on the two black victims in the separate states who were killed. None. But once this officer was killed in Dallas, it was our entire A block. It was... Let's talk to like the local Polynesian um, community member. And like, he's not even black. Like, like, what is, what is this? And so they talked to that. They brought like the mayor and one of our, our um, assembly women on to just like give reaction. They, you know, did the whole package from the affiliate in Dallas and, at no point was it referenced like what these people were actually protesting, why this, you know, why this protest was even actually going on. And I got mad. So I, 
So I and rightfully so because not my so my experience in the newsroom that week was logging on to Facebook and seeing my aunts and uh, my uncles and my family members because they might get shot by a police officer. So that's my experience waking up in the morning and going to this morning meeting where none of the things that are actually happening um, in, in the lower 48 are being discussed. We're just acting like it doesn't exist, but that's my reality. And so I have to sort of put that to the side and do my job for the day and then go home and face that reality. And so when, when it was just totally discarded in that A block, I wrote a, an email to my news director, my assistant news director, and just basically told them, you know, I'm because, you know, that's what our news director sent out an email and said, um, per, great A block guys. Like that was the best A block we've done in a while. And so I got mad, sent an email and I said, you know, I hope I'm not stepping out of line, but here are my concerns. We did not even address the two men who, you know, died this week. We did not address what this protest was even about. Um, this is unacceptable. We are not journalists if we're just putting together an A block as reaction on something that happened an hour ago. Sorry, where am I going with this? I'm getting upset. Where am I? <laughs> <laughs> we, we were talking about... Oh, so, we so were talking was, about speaking sorry. up, speaking up so in the meetings. that was an instance in which I felt it was important to make my voice known as the only black reporter in the newsroom. Yeah, I, I think that's important, too. I think, again, it's 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 not fair, really, that as the only person of color in that newsroom that you have to speak up every time right and just like it's it's not necessarily I, I read a great article about the me too campaign about how it's really not fair that it is the victims who have to speak up and the person who uh who committed the act never gets named so it's the victim who has to put herself or himself out there and it is so so i i, I understand what what you're saying about that and how it must feel like you have to choose your battles because if you choose every battle, then you might drive yourself just up a wall. And become the angry black woman of the newsroom. And mm -hmm. that's not a title that I want to have. <laughs> well, and I, I think this also circles back to um, having an open perspective and an awareness of these different social issues so that in the newsroom, when you're recognizing these activities are taking place or these discussions are taking place, you can also voice your concern or just go to that person and offer your support and say, hey, you know, if we're a team of two, that's better than a team of one trying to speak up against an issue. Mm -hmm. And so I think it really it all circles back to women supporting each other or, you know, maybe it's minorities supporting each other, but just making sure that there's a lot of support there so that ultimately we're bringing a more balanced and well-rounded uh, story of what's going on in our community to our viewers. Because I don't know about you guys, but like when when I was in TV news, um, I like I served the viewers. I served the community. I didn't serve myself. I didn't serve the staff or the TV station. I was working for my community. And to me, that's like where it stops at the end of the day. And so I think I, 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 th I just think that support is really key for us to be there for each other, regardless of gender or race or whatever the case may be. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a matter of either or. I think, Sierra, someone may in your newsroom may have watched your example or, you know, seen you speak up about an issue that was important to you at a meeting and it might have empowered that person to speak up about whatever it is that they were passionate about. I think, I think, like you said, it's the power of two versus the power of one can be a drastic improvement. And seeing someone's example or even going up to someone afterwards if you feel like that person didn't speak up and saying, hey, just so you know, 
I do have your back on this. I, I think that is just so important because without that, you're really relying on the system to work. And and it doesn't work. To me, right? <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's tough to try to navigate that. So I so I really do appreciate what the what the conversation that you're both starting, and I think that emphasis. Uh, and again, I, I I understand the the primary audience is women, but I think it's very important for men. And again, not necessarily based on gender, but for any kind of majority, for anyone who is in the majority in any specific level, to understand their role and their value in that conversation, and and the ability to be a supporting hand. Uh, for anyone in that position. So thank you both for doing what you do. Um, Before we wrap up, and this is the Telling the Story podcast, I'm here with Sierra Starks, Carolyn Hall, co-host of the Women on Deadline podcast. I always like to use this last section to, uh, as an advice section for young journalists. I feel like that's kind of what we've been doing anyway. But... I would like to talk to each of you about your individual journeys and, and how you got to where you are. Uh, Carolyn, I'll, I'll start with you. And, and I'm not going to really do any, uh, any spoilers here because I think you tell your story so well. But I'd love to hear just about your journey through TV news and, and where you are now. My gosh. <laughs> uh, well, it, it's been a crooked journey. <laughs> that's for sure. I actually graduated from college and I started working for the Boston Red Sox and I was working in their control room doing their um, day of game um, control room work like when it came to scoreboard uh, um, stats and um, video production and things of that nature and and some of that work also got put onto Nessun which is the New England Sports Network um, there um, back where I'm from and New England area. And so that was where I started and um, more or less where I started to get more involved with the MPPA and having a better understanding of what the National Press Photographers Association is. Um, Based on that growing understanding of what the MPPA could afford me, I started going to conferences and uh, learned a lot, a tremendous amount when it came to storytelling and then also in the, in the craft and also networking. And so from there, I was like, okay, this is really what I want to do. I want to tell stories and I want to tell community-minded stories. And so um, it ultimately led me to Anchorage, Alaska, where I started shooting for the NBC affiliate here. <clears throat> and from there, I spent a couple years um, building my craft and continuing to network and then I went to the NBC affiliate King TV in Seattle and I that was a tremendous growth opportunity I mean the the number of challenges that came my way were very welcomed and very fulfilling and it was just one of those things where it just I really thrived in that environment um, from there I was Um, I decided that I missed Alaska a lot. So I went back to Anchorage where I live now. And I was, I applied for a position at KTVA, the CBS affiliate here, because they had been recently bought out and I wanted to um, explore, you know, telling really solid stories, hard hitting, solid, um, structurally storytelling sound stories in a community that I held very dear to my heart. And so that was the idea in mind when it came to moving back to Alaska. Um, all the while, still remaining very heavily involved with the MPPA. And at that time, I was when I moved back here, I was the treasurer of the organization. And so I was a member of the leadership, and I was really able to have a much better understanding of the inner workings of the organization and and how much the organization feeds and thrives off of volunteer work. And it, I mean, it's, it's absolutely crucial. Um, from there, um, my, my term kind of wrapped up and I was discovering at KTBA that um, it, the environment there wasn't one that I was thriving in, in the way that I had hoped that I would. And so I started to be like, oh, what can I do? What can I do to help my community? Because it comes back to the viewers and it comes back to the community that I live in that I want to serve. And it, I came to the realization that, you know, I really want to help this community in whatever way that I can. And so for me, my particular journey meant that 
I am, I go back to grad school and so, or just go back to school. And so here I am, I'm in school after being out of undergrad for 15 years. And I'm like, what am I doing? (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how to be a student again and understand like how academia works. And, um, yeah, so I just, my, my journey is very different than most traditional journalists, um, in that sense. But I think it's important to share regardless, you know, on the podcast, like, sure, it's all about a woman's experience in television news. Um, and it doesn't matter that I'm not actually in a newsroom anymore because the experiences that I've had are going to live with me forever. And I think the experiences that I'm embarking on right now are ones that many of our viewers very well could experience in their own, in their own right, if they decide to leave the business. So I think me talking through this journey and this transformation of this new area of exploration that I'm going through, hopefully will be beneficial to some of our, our audience, because there is a surprising amount of similarities between journalism and what I'm studying, which is public administration and policy analysis. I mean, I'm stunned at how similar those two fields are. So I, I just, I want, I want people to be able to know that um, if they're looking for more and, and looking to be challenged, that there are challenges out there and that those challenges may not be in television news. So, and I'm, I'm still freelancing on the side um, with a friend of mine. Mine. We have uh, a couple of project ideas um, in the works. Um, I'm considering starting a freelance or a production company. And um, I also work for um, a live events production company in town, too. So, I mean, I'm not out of it by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, I don't know, that's my long and crooked journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, a few things I'll say to that. And First of all, you are uh, talking to a fellow student, as you know. I'm uh, getting my MFA as we speak right now while still working in the business. So I fully support anyone kind of taking on that challenge, whether or not they're working. I think it's just so beneficial, and I think it's important for here for people to hear that not every journey has to go small market TV to medium market TV to large market TV, and then you find your happy place. I think there's so many ways to be happy in journalism and and feel fulfilled in journalism in this century and this era. So I'm glad you told your story. And Sierra, as as I as I turn to you uh, on the computer screen, at which I'm looking at both of you, uh, as I turn to you, you may be surprised to hear this, as as I am the person who wrote the book called The Solo Video Journalist. But as I heard you talking in one of your podcasts about how you just refused to do that and you didn't want to do that. I actually was very heartened by it because I think one thing that young journalists don't have enough is a sense of who they want to be and what they want their voice to be. And if, you know, and if you are able to find a path that allows you to follow your voice first, then I'm all for that. So I wanted to absolutely have you recount that story here and just kind of what your long-term goals are and, and how you've kind of set yourself up to achieve them. Well, I have always known who I am, Matt. I just want to <laughs> throw that out there. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> um, and because of that, like, I've, I feel like I've always known my worth. That's the sort of the tidbit that, um, that sticks with me every day. I began in women's magazines um, with sort of no desire to do, I went back to, I went to grad school to, um, become the editor of a women's magazine. That was sort of my goal. And while I was in grad school, everybody was like, nope, broadcast news. That's what you'll do. And I'm like, no, like I'll be, you know, the editor of a women's, I know what I'm going to do. And, um, and so I was doing some work for Cosmo for Latinas uh, at Hearst and it was, um, video work and I was, I felt good about it, but, um, but it was very much the top 10 beauty trends, uh, that we showed you last fall, we're just going to rework them and show it to you for the spring. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and I was like, well, I can't, I can't do this forever. Um, and at that time was when Superstorm Sandy happened. And I just remember <clears throat> doing a lot of, I was doing MMJ work at that time, but doing a lot of um, storytelling that 
I went to bed fulfilled. Like I went to bed feeling a, a, like a, a deeper sense of purpose. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to make the shift to local news. And I didn't know anything about the business or how to get in. And I was told, you know, you got this crappy reel, send it out to all the, the small stations. Uh, you'll get callbacks and they'll pay you $11 an hour. And, and so that I was on these interviews with folks who were trying to pay me $11 an hour. And <laughs> I was like, I had two degrees. <laughs> no, thank you. So, so I ended up um, finding KTVA in Alaska, who essentially the, the guy who hired me, Jason Sear, said the possibilities here are endless. And that's all I needed to know. And they actually did end up being endless. And I ended up doing a lot of uh, cool stories and sort of connecting with the community. Because like Carolyn said, that's sort of what it's about. Like if you're if I'm not in this business to be pretty or be famous or (laughs) that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to to connect with the community, to tell stories that matter, like to to let people know that their voices matter. And, and, you know, we will be the ones to make your voices heard. Um, and then while I was in Alaska, I, uh, met a guy and he turned out to be pretty great and he's in the military. So when he left, I had to leave. And, (laughs) (laughs) but now I live by the beach. So whatever. (laughs) I was going to say, that's not a bad trade. Although I am, as Carolyn knows, a giant fan of Alaska as well. And all of the stations in Alaska. So, it's uh, really it's tough to argue with either of those places. But one thing I wanted to ask you, and I think you you kind of touched on this, Sierra, and I, I wanted to make sure we didn't lose that before we wrap up. Um, you know, when I've listened to your podcast, it, it's been so much about the uh, the internal experience inside the newsroom and, and how to navigate that, and that's most of what we've talked about here tonight. But I think there's a lot of value in talking about the product that you put out to the world and the job that you do in serving that community and how you can use your voice to affect that. So it, it, what advice would you give, especially to the younger journalists who you know, are probably still kind of figuring themselves out both as reporters and as adults, what would you say in terms of using your voice specifically as a woman to help your craft that the world then gets to see? I think as women, we aren't listened to a lot. We are, our problems are often brushed under the rug or they're just shrugged off or, and, and we do that ourselves sometimes. And so imagine how everybody in the world feels then, right? They don't feel listened to. They don't feel like anybody cares. Um, you know, there's this, this scandal going on that they've been trying to get out for a long time that nobody's listened to them. So when I go out into the field, I, I, I listen because I know the value of being listened to. And I meet people at their needs because who am I, who am I to tell you, you know, what this story is going to be? I want to hear from you. And I think just, just listening and just caring goes a long way. And, and it's not, and sometimes it is not about making deadline or about pleasing your boss or whatever. Like I think I think of like my mentor, Scotty Williston, who was one of the first female bureau chiefs chiefs in Cairo for CBS and things that she says have always stuck with me. And she's like, why do people care? And people care because, because you listen, right? Like, And I think that would be, if I could give any advice, honestly, it would be, to to listen to the people who you're talking to every single day and to meet them at their need and just think about how it feels when people do that to you and so you are affecting other people in doing that every day beautifully put carolyn anything you wanted to add on this oh man sierra just put it so well you know (laughs) i mean yeah she's like doing her little dance she's doing the happy dance Uh, yeah gosh i uh, she is i know (laughs) um i know that dance (laughs) uh yeah i i guess if if i was anything it would be to believe in yourself 
and to always learn, always be a sponge, always have humility, always be kind. Um, but then also truly believe in yourself and, and the path that you're on and just know that, you know, things happen for a reason and that you will get where you need to be. You're just going to have that focused energy in trying to get there. All right. Outstanding advice. Thank you both so much for being willing to share it and give it. Uh, I always like to ask, uh, end with that famous reporter's question. Is there anything we haven't touched on that either of you would like to add? Own it, right? Honestly, as women in this, you, you guys know it, but like own it. If I saw more women owning who they are, what they bring to the table, where they came from, what race they are, what religion they are, just own who you are and always be proud of that and bring it to the table every single day. Bring it to the morning meetings, even though you may not weigh in on somebody's stupid comment about something they know nothing about. If you still just have that inside of you, it won't even phase you. Well, again, thank you both so much. The podcast is called Women on Deadline. It is every bit as entertaining as what you have heard uh, on this podcast, if not more so, and definitely so, so valuable for the community it serves, and really any journalist can benefit from listening to it. So Carolyn Hall, Sierra Starks, thank you so much for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you. <laughs> and the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. And check out my book, The Solo Video Journalist. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.